Welcome to the one within all back to another episode of Interverse. I'm your host Chance as usual here ready to dive into some extremely relevant information to our current condition of humanity. Spinning off of the last episode with Paul Linda where we discussed cryptocurrency and whether or not it's here to enslave us or liberate us or somewhere in the middle and it's up to us to choose. We've got another fork in the road type of conversation. We're going to examine the larger context of what's called transhumanism, something that longtime listeners to my stuff will know that I talk about plenty. And I bet all of you have a a great understanding of these ideas going in. So that's going to help. But to quote our guest before I reveal who you already read in the title, (laughs) he says, we stand on the precipice of a new beginning. This is a new beginning that we can choose to exercise power over or to stand idly by in our current state of complacency and let the technocrats decide our future for us. And that quote is from Cybernetic Messiah, building the Antichrist system by our guest today, Wayne McCroy. Been looking forward to talking to Wayne for quite some time. I've checked out Alchemical Tech Revolution, his YouTube channel, where he reads occulted Masonic and secret society literature so that you don't have to go look and find it. Reads it to you, helps us understand what is being said in the larger context of the secret societies that rule our world. And on top of that, Wayne has been a frequent fixture on Crow 777 and Jason Lindgren's Secret of Saturn. All three of these channels, Alchemical Tech Revolution, Secrets of Saturn, Crow 777, they're all on Rockfin like me. So if you want to get the second hour of this conversation, head over to Rockfin, become a premium member, and you get my content and Wayne's content for the same price of admission. Pretty awesome. We're going to get into it here with Wayne. Really excited to have this conversation discussing his book, Cybernetic Messiah. Not a tough read other than how tough it is to envision the world the way that the technocratic elites envision it. Pretty ugly and nasty. All right, though, let's get this party started. Wayne, my man, thanks for being here. Welcome to the Interverse. Thanks, Chance. It's good to be on here. Thanks for uh, having me on your platform here. It's always good to uh, reach a new audience that may not have heard me before, and I appreciate you having me on. I bet a lot of them have heard of you, though, because I know for a fact that many of my listeners check out Crow, and you've been doing a series over there. I think you're on two of the three parts where this very subject is being discussed, but I think to begin... Let's just talk about what is transhumanism according to transhumanists. Uh, Well, according to the transhumanists, and this actually, uh, my jaw almost hit the floor one day. I was watching some videos on YouTube trying to find some stuff on pertinent transhumanist material from uh, some pro-transhumanist channels and stuff like that. And I came across this channel. uh, It was called, I believe, Transhumania. And they had a documentary on there about transhumanism. It was like a four hour long documentary or something. And I thought, well, I'm going to take a look and see what they had, because they did a pretty good breakdown of uh, the history of, you know, the transhumanist movement and some of the key figures and stuff in it. So I'm watching and I'm about uh, I think it's only about 12 or 13 minutes into it. And it comes up to the topic of eugenics as it relates to transhumanism. And I quote them. They say transhumanism is, quote, eugenics without coercion, end quote. Uh, So when I saw that, I took a screen capture of that 
uh, because they actually put the quote across the screen too. And I, I was just, I was shocked that they were just that blatantly admitting that that's what's going on here. Uh, eugenics is at the core of the transhumanist mo- movement. So people need to be aware that that is the case. I mean, all these things tie together and you could trace transhumanism all the way back into antiquity, uh, back to the old uh, mystery schools and secret societies of the past. Uh, these ideas have been around for a long time. It's just now in the modern era, uh, we've reached a point with our technology that uh, these people that are following these philosophies see this as being more pertinent now than ever before. Like they could actually see that it's within their grasps to maybe do this kind of a thing and, uh, you know, achieve this uh, state of uh, quote unquote godhood that they're looking for, because that's what they're seeking. They're seeking immortality and total and absolute control over everything. So with that being the case, they, they see technology as the key to doing that. And, you know, a lot of this ties back to Luciferian type philosophies and stuff, too, because if you're looking at the um, secular humanism and the ideas that go along with that, all of that ties back to the Luciferian philosophy of these secret societies. So it's all about man is either God himself or is God in the making or can become God. And that's uh, a lot of uh, you know, what's at the core of this transhumanist movement. Uh, so that being the case, they see this being accessible through the use of a lot of these high technologies that they have now available in our modern era. And much of the uh, technology that we see uh, out there in the public sector right now is probably a good 50 years behind what they have in the uh, auspices of the military industrial complex within their their uh, secret programs that they operate, these uh, black budget programs, also known as special access projects or special access programs, think, things of that nature that uh, you need a top secret clearance to work on. And uh, a lot of the corporations that control those working for the military industrial complex uh, require you to have this government uh, clearance in order to be able to work on these projects. But uh, when you understand that the technologies they have behind the scenes are far in advance of what we see as the most state-of-the-art thing in the public sector, you can see where a lot of this stuff gets concerning when you uh, look at the things they're talking about right now that that are relevant here, because you got to figure the things we're seeing, these things that are coming to the forefront now, things like Neuralink and, uh, you know, these BCIs, brain computer interface technologies and stuff like that, are likely 30 to 50 years old already within the auspices of the military industrial complex. Uh, it, it's it's cause for concern because uh, there, there's a lot of things and aspects to this that go on. And I'm sure we'll discuss that a little more later. I don't want to uh, completely sidetrack the conversation here because I know you had some questions and stuff that you wanted to cover. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's 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 a lot involved with it. This is a huge topic to discuss. That's why uh, I'm I'm on book number three now that I've been writing about this stuff. So uh, there's a whole lot more to cover too. There definitely is. I mean, as detailed as the book I read was, Cybernetic Messiah. It still is really just like the introductory primer to the concept, so that you know what to look for with your pattern recognition. One of the things he mentioned was the Lucifer Trust, loose, renamed to the Lucius Trust, which the UN is their publishing outlet or something along those lines. And I uh, think that it's really interesting how symbolism is an inversion when it comes to these uh, controllers and elites, because even the idea of Lucifer or Prometheus, that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad concept. 
that bringing the light of the divine to humanity could be really the right thing to do, but also Lucifer is Venus, meaning the goddess of love and the divine feminine as a concept, which is really the way and the root that all of this is being attacked through, if that makes sense. Like spirit or the masculine half of the being is being corrupted through the corruption of the body temple, through also the suppression of real love. I mean, if you need an example that love as a concept has been diminished, just look at how few words we have to express it compared to other languages. And that's a, <laughs> that's a whole nother sidetrack and tangent too. I need to get to a question here. But what I think about this as a perennial thing, you mentioned eugenics, that's come up over and over again in recent history and modern society. I think that all these ideas just get a continual facelift and maybe you could speak on that. Like another example that I like to bring up all the time is that an inverted version of Gnosticism, like the you have, the world is a cage and like a dark evil demiurge created it. <laughs> that has just been retranslated to scientific materialism as simulation theory. And that's a very important <laughs> simulation means hypocrisy. It's a very important thing right now all around us. And many physicists are on board with the idea, mainly because all of their models of reality are actually simulations themselves and they don't look at reality anymore. But can we talk about some of these ideas according to your perspective? Yeah, man, th th that's a great question. And uh, that's that's very relevant, all the things you said, because here's here's the general deal. What has happened is many of these old occult sciences or natural sciences or alchemical sciences, however you want to view them or, or whatever term you want to place upon them, many of them have been perverted and inverted from what their original intention was. Uh, and where I come from, uh, my perspective is this intention is everything. So many of these uh, systems that they use, these alchemical sciences, uh, it's it's all about the intention behind them. Intention is what fuels uh, the, the meme, the alchemical meme, per se, as I like to refer to it. Uh, so what happens here is uh, let's take, for example, symbols. Uh, we all know symbology is very important to these, uh, you know, dark occultists that run our world. Uh, they use symbols all the time. Uh, in corporate logos and everything. Well, the important thing is the use of those symbols, the intention put behind those symbols. That's what empowers that symbol going forward, see? Uh, so like you said, I mean, the original concept of, of what was meant by Lucifer, the light bringer, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have a malevolent tone to it, does it? Well, that's the thing. It was never really originally intended to have any kind of malevolence to it. It was supposed to be a good thing. This Promethean fire given to man, a gift, a gift of God. Okay. Gift from the gods or however you want to view it. The gift of intellect or intelligence doesn't have to be a bad thing. Problem is early on, uh, there were some people with uh, some not so pure motivations that seized upon this knowledge grasped a hold of the knowledge and kept it secret from others, see? And uh, by keeping secrets and using secrecy, uh, they were able to seize the reins of power. And secrecy is still one of the number one mind control, mind control tools used today, even to this day. In conjunction uh, with compartmentalization. Absolutely. Secrecy goes right along with compartmentalization. You're correct there. 
So with that being the case, uh, this secrecy is one of the ways that these select few have uh, held on to the reins of power because, see, they were able to use this knowledge that they had that others in the bulk of the, the public didn't have to control them. Like the perfect example, the primordial example that they always give of this in the Luciferian philosophy is one day man discovered lightning hit a tree and the branch caught on fire. Well, through some trial and error, that man learned how to keep the fire burning. And uh, with that, the men in those days, they lived in the dark in caves and were afraid of nightfall because that's when the predators came around. So this guy who discovered how to use and keep the fire lit, well, he had this technology, this fire, this knowledge that other people didn't have. So that being the case, um, he gained a special place in society. Uh, he was viewed as being wiser, smarter, the, the new leader per se. And this was the birth of the priestcraft. Okay. Uh, so he was the first priest. He was the first scientist. Uh, and he was the first king, king priests. Okay. So this is how uh, that whole idea comes about. So this guy, knowing how to keep the fire lit and how to light the fire, well, he didn't share this knowledge with everybody because see, if you share this gift with the ignorant, well, they're going to burn themselves, aren't they? And that's the, the, you know, philosophy of why he kept it secret into himself. And plus, not only that, he had a special place in society. He was revered as a king, as a priest, as the leader. See, he had this special place. People would bring him tributes, okay? So uh, he was in a good place. So he had no intention of giving this power to anybody else unless it was somebody he chose, like, say, maybe his son, Okay, so he would teach him the secret, and that's how this thing has continued even unto this day. Keep secret knowledge from the people, and you could use it for means of control and for power over them. And that's just the allegory of, uh, you know, how this whole thing came about or, you know, one of the ways where this secrecy could be used as a control tool. And it, it's still used even unto this day. But uh, I have it just ramps up the complexity as they get a longer history of having a knowledge differential. Right, right. So like after the fire, the next secret that they would command is, oh, I can make the sun disappear just because they've been around long enough to know when eclipses happen and they've been living a life of luxury instead of toiling in the field so they can pay attention to that stuff. Absolutely. So you see how this all goes. I mean, this all eventually uh, carries along forward. So, I mean, you have the priest kings and uh, they're the ones that are you know, in charge of the society. So this causes that knowledge differential, like you said. And with the knowledge differential comes the class differential, where you have the upper class and the lower class. And the upper class rules over the lower class. And, you know, we, we see how society has separated itself along those lines. Uh, so, you know, with that being the case, uh, I found by and large that early on in the history of mankind, what has happened is you had a select few people who figured out some of these uh, natural sciences and the secrets of these natural sciences kept them from the public for their own use and benefit over those of the masses. So they, they purposely keep the masses ignorant of many of these things, and they've learned how to control these things and use these things to control other people. And with that being the case, well, once again, it falls back on intention, doesn't it? Uh, so throughout the years and the millennia, what has eventually happened is many of these secrets, as they come forward, they become twisted and inverted from what their original use or intention was, because man figures out more and more selfish ways to use these things. And he learns how to uh, 
manipulate some of the powers of nature. With that being the case, man wants to overcome nature, so he inverts the natural order. And that's what's going on today, and that's the whole thing that goes with transhumanism. They want to completely invert the natural order and turn it into something completely artificial that they can control. Because nature in and of itself is not controllable by man, per se, not without some kind of a, an intervention from something man does know how to control. And that's why they use these technologies to do that. So they've been trying to steer, uh, you know, the auspices of, of what's going on in our world through these technological means. And this, this goes up and down. Uh, you know, the, the board to everything, everything from the human being to nature itself. That's why they've been uh, uh, geoengineering the skies and chemtrailing everything uh, and, and doing all of these different things. Uh, you know, it's not just about controlling man. It's about controlling the entire system. So when you look at the whole thing here, if you could view the world as a closed alchemical system, well, that what they're trying to do is invert the, this closed system into a, an artificial system under their control uh, within the bounds of natural law, because they can't escape natural law, no matter how hard they try, but they're trying to invert it into a, a control system. So that, that's what's been going on with this whole transhumanist philosophy. They want to control everything uh, right down to, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the climate uh, not just the climate, uh, the people. Uh, that's that's why we have this whole uh, system going in place. All the, these 5G towers and everything are going up. That's all part and parcel of what's going on. And they've been gearing up for a lot of this stuff for a long time. It's a slow rollout because they play a long game uh, when it comes down to it. So because they play the long game, they, they get one piece of the puzzle in place. And then they build upon that and put the other piece of the puzzle in and that kind of thing. So they've been leading up to this 5G rollout for a long time with the chemtrail spraying. And I, I know I might lose a couple people on that, but that's an important facet of it because they're ionizing the atmosphere. Not uh, around here if you won't lose anybody on, on that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think people are becoming more aware of those things. I, I tried been talking to, to a guy named Mitch who's using orgone devices and Reich technology as 5G deadly orgone radiation destroyers, basically. And right. even, I mean, he, he showed us video of his Kim Buster, he called it, which is like a Reich style cloud buster and Kim trails actually disappearing and falling apart in the sky with a crazy vortex pattern. Really amazing stuff. So yeah, we have that, solutions awesome, here. Man. Yeah, that, that's a good thing. I mean, and that's what we need to explore is some solutions. But uh, part and parcel of the problem is they've been gearing up for a long time with this stuff. And they've, they've got the systems almost already snapped into place at this point. So they're they're using these different syn synchronistic type uh, um, networks to do this stuff. They, they use like the, the chemtrail spraying or the geoengineering or whatever you want to call it. They use that in conjunction with the, the microwave frequencies that they're now using for these broadband communication networks and things like that, uh, even right down to the biology. And this is a whole uh, class of uh, research that's still relatively new. It's called digital biology. They could actually manufacture uh, different biological agents within the human body or within animal bodies through use of these microwave energy fields uh, in conjunction with the, the many chemicals and stuff that they've sprayed. Uh, so that being the case, I mean, 
that's that's concerning in and of itself, in my view. But yeah, that's a, that's a whole field that's that's just emerging now. Digital biology. I'm sure everybody's heard of synthetic biology at this point, uh, but they're pretty far along with that in these days. But now the next big wave is digital biology. Um, they could actually make things out of thin air. And they talk about some of these technologies within the transhumanist circles too. Uh, something akin to say the replicators in Star Trek, where you could just make something out of the air. Uh, and, and there it is, you could produce food out of thin air. These kind of things, they've been talking about that for years now. Kurzweil has been talking about that. We should have that technology in place by 2040 or something like that, uh, where we're able to do that kind of thing. And how are you gonna do that? Well, you have to have uh, the materials in the atmosphere, in the air, in order to be able to do that, uh, use the frequencies and, and build uh, from the molecular level on up almost instantaneously, this type of thing. And, and what's the term I'm trying to think that they use for this? I just encountered it the other day and I can't think what they call it, but it works similar to uh, what you would call a replicator or something from Star Trek. Uh, and it's, it's about, uh, you know, just building uh, materials out of seemingly nothing uh, at, at the base level. And, you know, they're, they're switching to uh, a lot of these different ideas about using artificial meat and stuff like that for sustenance. And all of this, it all ties together into these, these things. Uh, but uh, I always, uh, I have too much on my plate sometimes, and I forget the exact terms that they use, but it's better to uh, know the exact terms that they use. And so, cause it's right from the horse's mouth that way. And that way, you know, people know I'm not just coming up with this stuff on the fly. It's, it's really there. Um, what is the term? I, I'm sure I'll think of it at some point in the conversation, but we could go back to that. Yeah, honestly, when you go listen to the words right from their mouth from some of these characters in the transhuman movement or, you know, your Bond villains like Klaus Schwab, that is more shudder-inducing than some of the really out there doom and gloom conspiracy channels. Like, the actual things that they're saying are are so outrageous. But I think this is a really interesting thing. I never looked much into the possibility of there being a connection through the stuff that's being put in the air and making things out of thin air, but it would be a direction they'd want to go. Cause I'm going to quote you from your book again, they started out creating these new worlds in the minds of men. They're not literal physical worlds in the way we think of the natural world. These artificial worlds exist only in the minds of men and yet are all around us and affect us in every aspect of our lives. The perfect example of this is the absolute fact that our society has been structured into a legal fiction. So the legal fiction thing, that might be something to return to later, but really what you're describing here is uh, something that Michael Tesserian, my friend, coined the term mysteria or mysterium for this, which is where people's entire worldview is put through filters of ideas about ideas about someone else's ideas until there's not really much of a connection to any kind of capital R reality anymore. And in fact, I've done a lot of conversations in the past where I try to describe how this process works, where the more unreal your worldview is, the more you struggle against life itself and feel out of place because life will never adhere to fiction. Reality is not fiction. But I want to talk about this idea of mysteria and creating worlds in the minds of men 
uh, we see this through like video games in Hollywood all the time now. But if you go back to earlier times, like with the secret societies, one of the things I've noticed from listening to you read a lot of their own books is that it seems like they're just cranking out complex and self-contradictory dogma left and right to try to get people almost hypnotized in their ranks that whatever comes from the higher degree individual is absolutely right and should just be taken for granted as gospel. And an example that I think is really interesting is the obsession with elementals. And so this is kind of a lot of threads to try to pull together, but this idea of disincarnate elemental beings spiritually existing, but not in the physical world, but that can interact with humans or in some way need to interact with humans to have an experience of life. How does this, in your opinion, tie into how our minds have been invaded by poisoned worldviews and perhaps the bridge of our body temple to become a portal or a gateway to something that might actually exist on a negative spectrum of uh, otherwise imperce- imperceptible reality. It's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, man, there's a lot there. Uh, first and foremost, I just want to, the term that uh, Kurzweil used for those materials that where they could produce stuff out of thin air that's uh, akin to a replicator from Star Trek, foglets. He used the term foglets. Uh, so using- I just want to do some like etymology on that yeah. and some numerology. I wonder what that's yeah, all about. Yeah, foglets. If, if you get a chance, I mean, it's something to go ahead and break down on an esoteric type level, but that's what they call it, foglets. By using like these, these nano foglets, they can produce materials out of thin air, literally. That's what they're talking about uh, within some of the transhumanist technology circles, uh, that kind of thing for being, you know, available to do in the future. But uh, as far as, uh, you know, how they have actually manipulated our minds and had us create, um, you know, within our minds, these different ideas, this fictional world view that we do have. And, you know, the legal fiction goes right along with that. Uh, because we exist in, you know, our natural state here. We're actual physical human beings here walking around on this earth uh, doing stuff. And then we also have our legal fiction that goes along with us. This is represented on our driver's license and, uh, you know, on all of our paperwork, our bank account. And we have this entire legal fiction that goes along with us. And we also have uh, what would be our social media identity out there as well. That's another legal fiction of sorts. So, I mean, we have all these different fictions uh, operating at the same time. I have a World of Warcraft character from my 20s. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, man, you got to love that. I, I love role playing. I'm an old D&D geek. I used to play D&D back when I was younger, uh, you know, so I, I could relate to that. I mean, but it's it's all about. Yeah, yeah, fun. there's good and bad. Yeah, there's to, good and to bad. Gaming. I won't. I'm not like a full Luddite on that. No, I'm the same way. I've done some serious content on transhuman um, in gaming as a social engineering thing, though. Done a lot of that. Oh, definitely. You, you got to see the Cyberpunk 2077 transhuman tarot that's in that game yeah i i actually i think i checked out uh, a little bit of your work on that a while back now uh that game is loaded man from what i've seen uh so but they do they they use a lot of these uh different platforms like games and hollywood movies and stuff like that to put a lot of things out there uh for people to understand a lot of these esoteric type ideas but uh the the way that they've crafted our worldview 
is through the use of the artificial pretty much when it comes down to it they've they've engineered us into accepting this legal fiction world where you know we have x amount of dollars in our bank account well wh- where's our bank account at where's that located exactly you know what i mean is there actually anything physically there and that gets once again to the the cryptocurrency idea again too like you were discussing earlier uh this is the next step because i mean there's there's nothing really physical backing it like uh what had at one point our physical money was physically backing uh, what we view now as our currency, but uh, that's not the case anymore. And we've we've largely begun the transition towards a crypto type uh, of currency technology society. So that being the case, like a lot of these things are becoming more and more artificial as time goes on. Like there's nothing natural or analog there to touch. It's all going to digital and that's being done on purpose to further separate our minds from the natural world and to get us uh, heavily imbued in this artificial reality that they're trying to manufacture for us. And they've been largely successful at doing that incrementally over time because we do um, have our own worldviews, okay? And sometimes our worldviews are skewed by different things that we believe or act upon, uh, which may or may not be true. Uh, And all of these ideas, they tie back to all kinds of different things, religion, philosophy, mythology, uh, science. All these ideas are used as a control mechanism. And uh, those are the four basic ones that they use as foundations of control. And I do discuss that in my book, uh, those four Uh, different aspects of things where they use religious ideology along with philosophy and science and mythology. And mythology is the the one I think we've kind of lost in the modern era as a society. We we don't see the mythological ties to things going on in the world and how this harkens back. It's Marvel now. Oh, yeah. It's just not seen as mythology. It's entertainment. Right. Entertainment. Well, let's let's look at entertainment uh, to go in and capture the mind. That's what entertainment means uh, when you break down the etymology of it, to go in and capture the mind. Uh, and that's ag- exactly what it's all about. But we do have our modern mythologies of sort. Like I like to use the example of the Star Wars uh, trilogy, the original one, as a modern form of mythology. It has all the elements there of classical mythology. And uh, they use many of the archetypes that these mythological stories hit upon as a way to steer uh, public consensus on things and the public consciousness. Uh, So, you know, that being the case, they they use it in a lot of subtle ways and stuff, too, that we don't necessarily catch on to. Uh, If you're not really well schooled or versed in ancient Greek mythology and and the more Romanized versions of Greek mythology, because that's primarily what they hearken back to with a lot of these things, um, then you're missing the boat on a lot of the social engineering that's going on in our society. And that's kind of another thing in Star Wars that I just found out about was that the way Princess Leah does her hair, that super iconic two side spiral buns thing apparently has roots back in advanced previous civilizations on earth that we're not allowed to know about or talk about. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. So they're making like the Atlantis type of connection there as well. Uh, Almost like hitting us on the ancestral memory level, like that we'd recognize that icon as high, a high born individual. Precisely. And that's what they, that's an archetype. See, and they they always hit on these archetypal ideas because the human 
the human mind will recognize these, even though you may not consciously understand or realize what it is you're looking at, but on a subconscious or unconscious level, you automatically know what it means. And this, this hits on uh, uh, something that they, they like to refer to as the Akashic record. Or if you're more into science or what I call scientism, they would call that epigenetic memory. Okay, uh, that that's something that they've actually started to classify in our modern science now, and that that hits on this whole akashic field or akashic record type idea. So all of these archetypes exist um, and are recognizable by most human beings on a, a subconscious or unconscious level. So it does hit a part of your psyche, whether you realize it or not. So if you're watching that Star Wars movie and you see Princess Leia has this weird hairstyle, which wasn't really ever popular that I'm aware of in the modern era anywhere, uh, and your mind will automatically say, hey, there's something special about that. Uh, what, what does that have to do with? And if you're looking at uh, the way she has her hair like in that bun type thing on the side well it's kind of spiraled isn't it so you see that spiral pattern which harkens back to uh like the fibonacci sequence and uh, uh venus emerging from the shell there you go man so and it, it's it's a whole geometry of life and the geometric shape of life as it comes about uh the fibonacci spiral uh so you know even if you look at it from an archetypal level like that maybe that's what that's invoking and maybe that's why they say you know this was something that was used in one of these ancient societies to show that you were high born and once again we come back to the high born the eugenics idea eugenics literally means well born <laughs> that's 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 what the etymology of eugenics is and you know it, it touches base again right with the transhumanist notion you can see how all these things have been slowly played out through the years and brought into the modern view they they use a lot of different social engineering tools to do this stuff and they do it over the long term and uh, one of my favorite things that i like to look at i call the overton window uh, this is where you shift somebody's viewpoint very slowly in the public consciousness, this window of what they accept as being normal or rational uh, in little increments at a time. And in so doing, you begin to normalize things that you once thought were absurd. Uh, and they, they've been doing this for years now. And I, I mean, you could see this uh, right now going on with a lot of the different things in society. And uh, the, like cuties on Netflix. Yeah, man, it's it's disgusting. Uh, but. I use that example of the Overton window a lot after I heard you describe it. Really helpful to give a name to that process because then people that you've explained it to will have no choice but to recognize it unless they're totally totally blind blind to it. But you know, as an example of that, I want to get one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit, and I know that there was just too much in my set of questions a, a few minutes back to not get off into other directions a little bit. I'm really enjoying the conversation so far, but I wanted to talk about the obsession with elementals in Freemasonry and OTO, Golden Dawn, those type of orders and how, as an example of the Overton window, the idea at a lower degree of elementals is introduced. And then how is that ramped up in terms of what is expected for interaction with these uh, supposed beings? If you, you kind of catch my drift, how that works. Yeah, man, I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, sorry, we went off on a little side tangent there. But no, it's good. This is all good. Oh, it is. And I love these conversations because there's just so many things that are pertinent to what's going on in the world today. But uh, basically, a lot of the idea of elementals uh, tie back to the Rosicrucian ideas. OK, and, and many of the secret societies have brought these forward. 
Um, and uh, the Rosicrucians actually got it from Paracelsus, I think, originally, if I remember correctly. If you go back and look at the, you know, the the Greek metaphysicians and stuff like that, you could see where they talk about uh, loosely about what they would call like a nature spirit or, uh, you know, an elemental type energy. OK, so th this is not something that they meant to be. OK, this is a literal living being, uh, an entity that uh, will manifest itself and appear before humans and uh, can do things for humans. OK, but uh, when Paracelsus talks about it, it's more like uh, he's in invoking the idea of this is a natural energy that can possibly be tapped into by human beings more so than like say an actual physical spirit that comes forward and manifests uh this through the years has come, become convoluted through uh the rosicrucian teachings and uh, through um, many of the other secret societies and it was brought forward um and popularized through fictional ideas Okay, there was a fictional work called the Comte de Gobelis uh, back in the early 1600s. I think this was written, and it was written by uh, a guy who was actually poking fun at the occultists. But uh, it wound up that the occultists took it seriously, where he actually popularized the idea of these elemental beings being able to summon these elemental beings and having relationships and sexual relations and stuff with them. Uh, and, you know, he was supposedly... Um, the guy who wrote this was supposedly, uh, you know, a high adept in the Kabbalah uh, or the Kabbalistic type ideas. So he put this forward and popularized it, and it was meant to be a, a, a work of satire. But the occultists of the time and the occultists later, like uh, two centuries later, who got a hold of this book, took it very seriously. And even today. Uh, there's a lot of these uh, secret society groups that take this stuff very seriously and have built upon these ideas. So that's primarily where some of these ideas of elementals and stuff come from. And in so doing, with this, what has happened since then now is because they have taken this idea, which was not really intended in the way that it was originally cast by Paracelsus, where he was talking about natural energies and that kind of thing. And it's been inverted and twisted to become uh, what would be a, a manifested being, okay, like a spirit of sorts. And uh, because of uh, things like the hermetic principle of mind, if you believe something or imbue enough energy and, and thought and time and devotion into something, at some point it becomes real because it's it manifests in much the same way as thought. You see what I mean? Once a thought is out there in the ether, it's it's manifest in some way, shape, or form. So what has happened is it has kind of created a, a sort of a, a tulpa or an egregore um, with this idea. And uh, many of these occultists have, have really put a lot of time and effort into this. And you have uh, guys like John Dee um, back in, uh, you know, in those days who were looking at uh, like these demonic type spirits and, and these kind of things uh, in the, the works of the, the greater key of Solomon and stuff like that, hitting on a lot of these same ideas where it's, it's drawing the manifestation of these types of things into reality here. Um, and like I said, it, it has to do a lot with the mind and the perception of reality. And if you perceive something real, it kind of becomes uh, a sort of a tulpa or an egregore, okay? And in that case, it, it becomes somewhat real uh, to a degree, uh, especially in a more 
what we would say spiritual type of a way or a more uh, um, uh, ethereal type way per se. Uh, it's hard to describe in in the actual words like how this could manifest in that type of a way. But uh, it, it once again ties back to the old hermetic principles, which were understood by many of these secret society groups and kept secret uh, from the public at large. Uh, so as you think, so you are. And, and those kind of ideas, as above, so below, as within, so without. And uh, the first principle of the hermetic thought is the hermetic principle of mentalism, or uh, as you think something to be, so it manifests. And, you know, th these kind of ideas play in with a lot of this stuff. So if you have enough people within these occult groups concentrating on this type of an idea of, say, like elemental spirits being a real thing or a tangible thing that they could summon and maybe control and uh, that kind of thing, it becomes its own type of a manifestation. So with that being the case, uh, what they've done is they've tapped into this energy and they've twisted and perverted it into a thing that they now seem a little bit obsessed with at certain points in some of these secret society groups. Um, not so much, I wouldn't say the vast majority of like Freemasons or anybody like that. This stuff usually gets hit upon by like the OTO and those type of uh, secret society groups more so now in the modern era uh, than what it was. But it, the, the ideas originated within Rosicrucianism. And like I said, a lot of it could be traced back to that one book by, uh, uh, I forget what his name was, but uh, I would have to look it up, but look it up. It's called the Comte de Gobelis. And it's, uh, which loosely translates to uh, the, the King of Kabbalah is what that means. It was a French book, if I remember correctly. And it was published like sometime, I think, in the 1620s. But he hit upon the idea of elementals. And since he put that out, well, then more and more works kind of came out and built upon uh, that foundation he laid down with that. And they've actually organized different occult ritual around the whole idea. So it's important we explore these ideas back to their roots. Uh, so if you go back, uh, you could see the modern inception of that was from this book, Comte de Gobelis, which was a work of fiction, by the way. And uh, it's, it's weird how some of these things cross the line from fiction to reality, too. You could say the same thing about uh, somebody like, um, um, oh, I'm, I'm blanking here just a second, but I'll think of it. Uh, the uh, the guy that wrote Cthulhu, uh, why am I blanking? Oh, Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah, Lovecraft. I don't know why I couldn't think of his name, but it's the same type of thing. Like where some of these ideas, they're put out there as fiction, but a lot of the occult groups have, have latched onto them and are actually doing real magical type ritual with this stuff and, and getting results. Uh, so like. And all those authors at that time were pen pals with each other. Weird, isn't it? And even, yeah, it seems like that. Uh, there were networks talking to each other about these very ideas, including Lovecraft before they were seeded through the fiction. I I'm kind of in interjecting here because there's a lot of direction to go. And this is, this topic has opened up some ideas for me. <laughs> First thing that comes to mind is the statistics and replication problem. I was just looking into this week about, the replication problem of science, which I was aware of, but going further and considering the field of statistics as a whole, because in people's minds, when they see the numbers, usually there's a 33 in it on the headlines that they never actually read further into. 
these statistics become an egregore of themselves in a way and almost like fueling mass belief in this scientism God. And it turns out that modern statistics that has informed the majority of what passes for science right now has foundational, incorrect foundational ideas. Like there's many of them, but one of the examples is that you can take a sample size of 500 and blow that up to count the entire population. And somehow you believe that that's going to be an accurate simulation, (laughs) things of that nature. But where I'm going with this is that maybe generating mass belief in certain ideas like alien abductions could open the gateway for thought form entities to influence and interfere with people. And then to go like a level deeper, maybe this grand architect that the Masons are all investing so much belief into and is really just like a artificial demiurge, almost like an egregoric AI that could even potentially be controlled by those who seeded the ideas about it to the people who are then generating it through their mass belief. And in which case, it could explain a lot of bizarre things that go on in the realm these days, like all of the very strange, almost artificial feeling induced synchronicity pathways and false awakenings that you see people getting stuck in like the Q stuff as a really easy example, but there's so many like just going balls deep, looking for the every connection and synchronicity between this movie and this celebrity and this false flag event and like how numerologically things line up and on dates and in the right astrological season, how deep the interconnectivity of the magical workings of the controllers are at this point makes me think that it has to be coming from something beyond humanity, even if humanity is what's generating that thing in some capacity. Is that all flow? Yeah, man. It sounds like you and I are on the same page with a lot of this stuff. Uh, Those are kind of some of the same thoughts I've had on the subject. Uh, when you, when you look at this stuff, um, Michael Hoffman describes this as what they call revelation of the method. Okay. And this is what James Shelby Downard had wrote about too, uh, was this revelation of the method. Now, uh, what that is, is these, uh, occultists who actually run things that they encode some of these things in, uh, very subtle ways and they put their, their fingerprints on it so that, uh, when the time comes, after the event is said and done, uh, we could look back and realize, well, first of all, we were lied to about what had actually occurred. And second of all, uh, these mafioso guys, uh, whoever they are, whoever we would call uh, the controllers of this world, the, the deep state or however, however people want to refer to them. Uh, when we look back and we see their fingerprints on this and we know they did this and got away with it, well, that kind of... Uh, uh, raises their mystique, their level of mystique, and the uh, illusion of their power. See, they were so clever, they pulled this off. And 9-11 is a perfect example of this. Uh, you know, the day of 9-11, when this stuff happened, I mean, most people were buying the mainstream narrative. But now, years later, after the fact, we are, we look back and we're like, no, it, it, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Uh, we see all the evidence uh, now of things past that they had covered up back at the time that's come forward now uh, to show that there was something deeper going on that day. And it was more of a ritual than anything. It was not uh, just this uh, random event that happened, this this terrorist attack or, or whatever. However, they try to make the uh, the mainstream perceive it. It was actually 
first of all, very heavily planned. Second of all, it was encoded all over the place with numerology and symbolism and everything else. And, you know, thirdly, it wasn't recognized until after the fact. And I mean, like years after the fact, after anybody who was a participant in it could be held accountable for it. Uh, so that being the case, they got away with it. See, it's it's a nudge and a wink uh, with these guys in the positions of power. Look, we got away with it. And that. those uh, magical links, if you will, correlative links are still rippling out today. Like, for example, that the pandemic initiated one metonic cycle from 9-11, 19 years approximately. Absolutely. And the 19 is encoded right in there. And uh, we're, we're actually, uh, you know, we're seeing this year now uh, more of these different types of ideas coming to bear. Uh, because, I mean, you, you look at everything that's encoded with it and that they actually pre-echoed uh, the 9-11 thing, like many, many years in advance. And actually, uh, the uh, the Twin Towers were built in 1968, exactly 33 years before they were knocked down by the planes or allegedly knocked down by the planes or, or however you want to look at that kind of thing. And, you know, even in the uh, the, the blueprint for it all, uh, you're talking Twin Towers. Well, there's a lot of uh, Masonic symbolism, among other symbolism there, the two towers, the, the two pillars, Joaquin and Boaz. Um, you know, these, these foundational different ideas uh, where they're knocking these down and uh, they're they're supposedly supposed to build a new monument there, just one monument, a single tower. So they're they're combining the two into one. And this is this is two, two, right. One. This is the uh, 2021, yep. two, two, one, 21. Yep. It's, it's all about two to one, two to one, making two into one. 21. Yeah. It's the blackjack <laughs> idea. Uh, I, I don't know how familiar you are with that whole idea of the blackjack and all the symbology that goes into that. Um, 21, the blackjack, it's, um, it, it, it was encoded like all over the place, even before the time of 9-11 happened. And then even years later now, now we're in 2021 and they've rolled out all this pandemic stuff. Uh, and it was a, a full metonic cycle later. You're right. 19 years and it's weird that it corresponded almost exactly with that. And then you're talking about uh, 2020. There's a 22, uh, you know, and next year's 2022. So we're, we're going to see some big stuff going down next year because that's the master builder number. They always have this stuff like planned out in advance and they use these different types of tools uh, to kind of more empower these things they want to do. Uh, numerology is one of the ones that they use that's more easily spotted by people. Uh, so it's it's a good primer for somebody. Like if they're just trying to get involved with investigating this stuff, look at the numbers. Cause they always use like the, these uh, double numbers are a popular one. Like the number 22 is the number of the master builder, uh, the number 11, the number nine, nine 11 in conjunction is an important one. And I talk about that in my book because uh, this equates to what I call the uh, broken feedback loop concept. Uh, so, well, hold that thought on the broken feedback loop. I want to include that in hour two. Yeah, not a problem. But I think we'll have too much to fit into hour one okay. on that. Not a problem. The that was definitely something I was going to use to tease hour two because at this point we'll need more time for that. But that's such that in the definition of cybernetics, which was a big surprise to me. It was not what I thought the word meant. <laughs> And there's so many other things I want to get into in hour two. Uh, so looking forward to this part, but I have time for a specific question I wanted to get in at the end here to just leave the free audience on a more inspirational note. But uh, man, on the subject of numerology, I will say 
to people listening that might be newer to the channel, there's some really good episodes with my friend Derek Takuri, also known as Jamatronator. And better yet, you could just go to his YouTube channel and he's nonstop, just like savant level, breaking down the ridiculous number of numerological correlations in pop culture and mass media events. And it's like this celebrity has this birthday and they die on this day. And then all the numbers of that match up to some other false flag event that happened on the same day. And it's just another way of programming the world mind or practicing the programming. You could say it's like, they're just running a lot of it is seemingly pointless connections. And it's almost like they're just running the uh, practice to see how far the lowering of the mind has taken place in the collective consciousness and see how much they can influence one part of it with another, with seemingly disconnected information, if that makes sense. Like will hearing the story about this celebrity that has these symbols embedded into the story have the same effect as it does on the people who saw a different story that had the same numbers embedded in it. Really just like practicing how well they've got our systems primed for programming, which is probably pretty strong in a lot of the population at this point. But yeah, we'll get to all this stuff in hour two that I mentioned. And before we finish up in the first hour, I wanted to ask you about a recent leap of faith that you took and how you changed your life because I think a lot of people out there would feel good about hearing that and it might even help them with their own leaps of faith. All right, man. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I, I did. I made a big change recently. And you know what? I'm so much better off for it. Uh, I, I left a job that I had been at for years and it was a, a high stress, high responsibility type job. Okay. Uh, and I walked away from it. I just couldn't do it anymore. I, I was having... Uh, it was to the point where I dreaded going to work and it was becoming an issue and it was interfering with the rest of my personal life uh, because it was so consuming so much of my time and my energy. So, uh, you know, I, I thought about it and I prayed about it and I, I just I walked away uh, without any kind of a, uh, a a backup plan. I just said, you know what? I've had enough of this. I, I just can't do it anymore. I was at that place where it was time for me to do something else. Uh, so, you know, at that point, I'm like, I'm, I'm walking away. I, I just can't do it anymore. So me and my wife, we sat down, we figured out our finances and stuff. And we decided, you know what, we'll be good. I'm just going to walk away and, and leave it. And uh, I did so I took a step out in faith. And I did that without another job or anything lined up. And mind you, I had been applying for new jobs and stuff for at least the past year, year and a half, trying to find something else. And I wasn't even hearing back at all from any of these places that I put applications in. Uh, so, you know, I I just, I thought, well, I'll, well, I'll try and figure something out at some point here. But I, I had planned on uh, trying to put more of my time and effort into doing uh, podcasting and uh, writing books and and the, the stuff that I like to do, and this, this kind of thing. And I, I view it as being more important uh, than, you know, your run-of-the-mill everyday job where you're out there busting your butt for some corporation or something and, and getting nothing in return except more and more aggravation and grief. So I decided I'll take this step out in faith and walk away from it. And uh, well, what turned up happening is the very next day after I, I, I put in my notice there and uh, was was ready to go out the door, I saw a job posted on Indeed 
And I thought, well, I've never seen this job before, and this looks like something that might be interesting. And I figured, well, it won't hurt to apply. So I applied for the job. And mind you, I had applied for several other jobs in the course of the past year and a half. Never heard from anybody. Well, the very next day, I got a call from this job, and uh, I was able to actually negotiate my start rate and everything else. And it's a job that uh, I didn't even know existed. And it's how this job works. I could make my own schedule. I don't have to work any nights or weekends. Uh, I'll be working half as many hours as I was. And uh, it it actually it came through for me like right away. And it's amazing how sometimes when you step out in faith, um, you know, the, the universe or the creator or God, however you want to view this, will honor that for you when you step out in faith and, and do what you've been called to do. Uh, and that's just my encouragement for people. Uh, you know, I, I stepped out in faith and I did the thing that, uh, you know, I, I wanted to do for a long time, but the timing just wasn't right. And then I just, that little voice in my head said, now's the time, step away. And I did, I stepped away from it all. And you know what, here I am probably a good month, month, you know, a month, four or five weeks or something like that later. And I'm so much better off now. I, I have so much less stress. I feel better. Uh, I feel healthier than I've felt in years, um, just even on a physical level. So, I mean, I would encourage anybody, if you have a calling, and uh, you you honor this calling and step out in faith, good things will happen. Doors will open for you where there were none. Uh, so that that's my testimony. And, you know, that's uh, I hope that's an encouragement for people, because I'll tell you what, I, I actually did a, a YouTube live stream after this happened. And uh, I got a lot of encouraging uh, words back from other people, how it, it helped them. So I, I hope that that uh, testimony here helps somebody else out because at the end of the day, that's what's important. If you have a calling on your life, just follow the call and and, and do what God asks you or the universe or however, whatever your worldview is, man, just step out in faith and do it. And you won't regret it because doors will open for you that weren't there before. It's beautiful. Yeah, I caught that live stream and I felt the inspiration. In fact, the entire impetus for me creating this podcast was to share that type of inspiration with people listening and to help me on my path to doing the same thing. Because for me, this is that. And then, you know, the world continued the way it was going and I had to become more of a conspiracy podcast <laughs> just to be authentic about what I see all around me all the time. But we can still pepper in that deeply inspirational faith that if you're following what's your true deepest wish, you will find help from unseen places and unseen forces. And you don't need to do really ceremonies or rituals or have sex with non-physical beings for any of that to work out. If, it, if that wish is in alignment with natural law, with the highest good, Amen. with your actual heart, right? So, well, Wayne, hit them with your links and tell them how they can support you and get into other work that you're doing. And I must say, you definitely are as sharp as ever. This is one of my favorite conversations I've ever heard you give. So we still got an hour left and uh, really looking forward to going deeper. All right, man. Well, if anybody's interested in checking out my work right now, I've been focusing a lot on Rockfin uh, as a, as a platform. So I've been putting my new material up on Rockfin and usually how I structure things is, uh, what I've been doing as of late is I'll do uh, a two part, uh, type of series 
Uh, the first part I'll put out there for free on Rockfin uh, because anybody could sign up now for Rockfin or you don't even need to sign up. You can just get on the platform and listen to the free content now. That's something that they've uh, changed just recently. So anybody could listen to the free stuff on there. Uh, but there's also premium content on there. So what I'll do is I'll usually do the part one will be the free content and then the part two or any parts thereafter, because, you know, sometimes I get long winded. <laughs> so there might be three or four parts in certain things I'll put under the premium content section. So the only way to access that is to sign up for Rockfin. And uh, it's it's a great value for $9.99 a month. Uh, you get access to everybody on the platform's premium content. So guys like Chance here, uh, who's got some great content out there, uh, his second hour stuff, you could sign up and hear that. You could hear my second hour stuff. You could hear uh, all the free content out there from great channels like Secrets of Saturn. Uh, Lindsay Sharman has a nice channel out there where she puts out some good content. Uh, a lot of different... Uh, Lindsay's my home Yeah, girl. a lot of people out there. Uh, Brian Stavely's on here now. Uh, Beth is... I think going to be doing stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. Beth Martins is on here now. Uh, there's, there's just so many creators on this platform now, and we've been trying to get more of them to sign up because we know it's a bummer for people to shell out their, their money to actually hear uh, a lot of good content and stuff on there. But the nice thing here is we could say whatever we want. We're not being censored on Rockfin. So, you know, with that being the case, that's why a lot of us have jumped over from YouTube and some of these other platforms because they've they've been removing videos, giving you strikes, taking stuff down. Uh, I don't know how many channels in the past year have disappeared off of there. So it's like we've been trying to encourage other content creators like ourselves to jump on over. Like James Drew just came on Rockfin now, too. Uh, so, like, there, there's a lot of different content creators out there that are jumping on board. I've noticed that people, if they celebrate that YouTube took their channel down and they're like, good, I didn't want it anyway, then YouTube gives it back <laughs> because they don't want to be spited. Right. It, <laughs> That's what happened to Corbett the other day. I, I believe it because they, they do seem to be that way. It's like they they know they have such a monopoly on, on most of the market out there. But there are platforms like Rockfin now uh, that are giving them a run for their money where they're just letting some of these content creators come on and say what they want and put out the content that they want without restrictions or censorship. And that's the benefit of being behind a paywall like this. We could do that. We don't have to worry about uh, having our content pulled. Uh, so with that being the case, a lot of us are jumping over here, but. Uh, and we get support for the hard work because right? this is work, man. It is, man. Like a lot of people. I had to read a whole book, guys. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people <laughs> don't realize how much how much work goes into putting together like a quality podcast or something like this. You have to do a lot of reading, a lot of studying, a, a lot of uh, cross-referencing things. Uh, there's especially writing a book too, man. I, I've, I've written three books. If I was out to get rich, I'd just be like a ga an obscene game streamer yeah. right now. I'm dude, they make some money. money. I know. That's the thing. I mean, they yeah. make some money, those game channels and stuff, but uh, marketed to kids, yeah, but totally allowed on YouTube, even when it's the most heinous content and that, that's all part of the system they got going too but well before we go i want to say people can also get hour two on patreon if you're nasty but i don't love them too much they actually just kicked beth off did they really youtube gave beth a week hiatus because she filmed a protest for medical freedom you know can't talk about that or show that people are actually gathering to support medical freedom and the same night that youtube kicked her off patreon disabled her account. It's almost like they're all in bed with each other, but <laughs> we got to move over to the uh, second hour. So we'll catch you members on the other side. And like Wayne said, one price gives you both of our things on Rockfin. So that's pretty awesome. And we could use the support. 
going to be an awesome second hour. Thank you so much, Wayne. Thanks, man. Thanks everybody for tuning in and going through some possibly difficult to listen to type of content. I don't know. It's weird. It's kind of fun to talk about this type of stuff because there are so many fractal connections to make and it really gets my mind racing, but I definitely don't want to see society go the way of transhumanism any further than we've already gone. And Wayne is definitely the guy to talk to about this stuff. He's been doing research for who knows how long and his books are great. I want to check out his uh, autism text because I think it's called autism transhumanism's dirty little secret, something like that. And he's actually adopted and fostered multiple autistic children. So I think he has got the inside information and firsthand experience that would make his perspective really useful for looking at how this is an engineered epidemic of you know, and when we talk about autism, it's like a huge spectrum of things. It's not just one thing. And that's part of what makes it confusing. So I won't talk about that too much more. Maybe we'll have a future conversation on that subject. I don't know. But if you want to hear the hour two, you already know that you can catch it on Rockfin and Patreon. In the second hour, we talked about cybernetics in terms of what it really means, defining that, which, by the way, it has to do with controlling life. Not just life controlling machines, but machines that influence and control life. We talked about feedback loops, and that is a very helpful concept to get into your head about how cybernetics and broken feedback loops work together to modify behavior and change the outcome to the desired one for the controller. We've also dive deeper into the idea of the distributed intelligence of the body, how that reflects in the potential of the Internet of Things for creating some sort of networked intelligence that may not be very kind to us in terms of the human experience. The compartmentalization that is connected to all of the uh, feedback loops mentally and physically in the body that allow for a centralized intelligence to direct and control things. We got into brain computer computer interfaces and parity with the machine. That is how humanity is being reduced down to the level of the machine so that it can more easily pair with the computer because the brain, which is not consciousness, but the mind, I should say, is far more complex than any machine that has ever been built. Talked about the psychology of all this, the superego, what I call the metaphorical AI implant, which is the group mind or crowd consciousness. And there's so much more in the second hour. It was just chock full of insights and epiphanies and synchronistic fractal <laughs> observations. Really fun. 
and not that it's fun that humanity is getting turned into machines and the Borg, but it is fun for someone like me who studied these things kind of alone. And I don't have a lot of people in my personal life that I can talk to, or I guess nobody (laughs) on the level of this conversation with Wayne. So I appreciate that because it kind of helps me confirm that what I observe is correct or really happening. I will say the Telegram group, the Universe Telegram chat, definitely a lot of people there that are on the level understanding these things. And probably some of y'all while listening to this even thought of connections and insights that we didn't get to. There's only so much you can do in a two-hour show. (laughs) Some of the things I'd like to talk about, Wayne, in the future maybe more about the four occult sciences, onomatology, mystic topology, which is geomancy, numerology, and symbology, and maybe the alchemical meme. That's a really fun concept that he talks about, meme warfare, (laughs) modern meme warfare. I'd also like to discuss dark occultism in the Vatican, and maybe more about the book of revelations. Like I'm wondering, is this predictive prophecy or an inevitable cycle that could be observed by a so-called prophet? I don't know, but this really flows well from the episode with Paul the week before. And there's just so much to it. We could probably talk about this many more times. I won't be too wordy in the outro here, but I do want to remind you guys that rockvin.com slash interverse, patreon.com slash interverse, either of those places you can get the second hour. And also Wayne's on Rockfin. Wayne's got multiple books you can read and I will link to those things in the show notes and you can catch a lot more knowledge from Mr. McCroy if you're so inclined. And I'll definitely have him back. He, de- he sounded very keen on coming back. I think he had fun too. That's always my favorite type of interview where someone who's the expert on the subject can gain something out of talking to me that's not just regurgitating answers to questions that they get asked all the time. So hooray, Interverse is special. (laughs) It's really you guys, the audience that make it special. I've taken you guys on this ride with me, knowing that not everybody in the world is going to have the same perspective or the same amount of information that helps make sense of the topics that we get into here. But I trust that the ones that find it are the ones that can use it and make their life better and feel more inspired by gaining you know, information that's toned to a positive vibration. (laughs) So I'm going to play us out. Hopefully this song doesn't get us in trouble, but I'm going to play us out with uh, Follow Me by Shock One because this song is like the musical version of the AI takeover and it's pretty rad. So, all right. You guys have a good time out there wherever you're at in the world. Thanks for tuning in and much love. Talk to you soon. I'm the Alpha, Omega, beginning, the end, a light in, the darkness, salvation, condemn, follow me, I'll lead you, I'll show, the way, surrender, your soul, submit, obey, follow me, your master, VR, AI, I'm smarter, I'm faster, I curate, your life, follow me, resistance, is futile, my friend, we're in this, together, until the bitter end, on TikTok, on YouTube, on Discord, on Twitch, get onto my platform, come on, make the switch, follow me, to glory, on Insta, my story, 
Follow me on everything or you'll be fucking sorry. Follow me, your master, VR, AI. I'm smarter, I'm faster, I curate your life. Follow me, resistance is futile. My friend, we're in this together until the bitter end. Follow me.